Welcome back, Soil Nation, into the Topsoil Podcast headquarters right here in Ainsworth, Iowa. Soil Nation Iowa. World Headquarters. It is. Yeah. Right here in Washington, Iowa, Washington County, Iowa. We're super excited about this episode because we have... A professional. Yeah. Somebody okay. who is way smarter than us. Uh, Delaney Howe, graduate of Columbus Junction High School, grew up here in southeast Iowa. Right down and, the road. Yep. And now is doing a bunch of stuff, uh, which we're going to let her fill you in on. But one thing that we would like to bring up is she actually is doing a podcast of her own uh, called Ag News Daily. Um, it's about 30 minutes every day. We highly recommend you check that out. It's really well put together. Great, great podcast. Like so, overview. Well, you can get into what, what all it is. Yeah. So we kind of live in the niche world over here with soil health and stuff, but she deals with just everything, and uh, it's just really good. So check that out. But I want to introduce uh, Delaney, and maybe just tell us a little bit about what you've been working on. Sure. Well, thanks for having me here at the Soil Nation. <laughs> That's right. Pretty neat. Um, like they said, I host a daily podcast, and we cover pretty much the gamut of agriculture. We cover news, we cover policy, weather, trade, markets, technology, and agriculture. We just we like to talk about it all. We're not like we, Mike and I, Mike Pierce and my co-host and I each say we have a lot of knowledge, but that knowledge doesn't go very deep sometimes. So we kind of <laughs> just right. try to cover the whole gamut of agriculture. Um, and then besides that, we host that every day, every weekday and 30 minutes in length, like you mentioned. Then mm-hmm. I also um, am the host, the new host of Market to Market. Just started my role there about uh, two months ago, I think. I think this week's my two month anniversary for that. So we do a lot of market discussion there, get to work one-on-one with market analysts talking to them about what's going on in the commodity markets, which I'm sure you guys get a lot of attention to. And on top of that, I do some freelancing for This Week in Agribusiness. Um, I have a radio program on Your Ag Network, which is in the upper Midwest, about 22 stations I think they're up to now. And then I also do a little bit of marketing on my own. I have my own video production marketing company and help with marketing strategies for ag businesses. Yeah, that's sweet. Try to do it all. I don't have one full-time job, as I'm sure you yeah. wear well, many a hats. You a lot of different to. stuff, but they all st- tie together. Yeah, though, exactly. Too. And you just—I mean, I think growing up on a farm that teaches you, you have to wear a lot of different hats, and you yeah. know, you have to diversify. You have to figure out what works best for you. Yeah, that's awesome. Cool. Yeah. Well, so, that's that fills right into what we're talking about, though, too, as far as like diversifying on the farm, but going off the farm and finding diversity there too. You know that, like, yeah, we both farm but we've got companies too mm-hmm. in order to diversify in order to have multiple revenue streams coming in sometimes so, the farm doesn't make enough money and you have to look at other options right so. right and i think sometimes like one of the things is like it's always been interesting to me is how much we give up of the dollar that you can make you know i know i think it's what 20 cents a farmer gets back off of every dollar yeah it's like i think maybe it's tiny. even less than that now and so you're giving 80 cents up to basically distribution and, and marketing, right? Manufacturing, all that right. stuff. Yeah. Which, which at one time, like in the 1930s, 40s, 50s, like post-World War II, to be able to put infrastructure in to do that, it was super expensive. So mm-hmm. like these companies that had the, the means to do that is they got bigger, right? Like if you look mm-hmm. at General Mills and these type Absolutely. of companies. And what's fascinating to me is that like the internet has changed that game. You know, yeah. you guys who are listening to my podcast have heard me say that. Like the internet won and you can distribute you you know if you can manufacture for from your farm for literally nothing like mm-hmm. free you know i would get some some small startup infrastructure right but to be able to distribute to millions of people worldwide costs nothing you know it's you phenomenal. can do it on facebook yeah I mean, 
So that's interesting to me. Yeah. And like, do do you know what's your thoughts like from a long term position? How do you how do you like maybe foresee um, like where the internet plays into agriculture yeah. long term? I'm going to come at it first from a media perspective since I'm a media person. I'm a well, that's exactly what you've done. Like right. you've basically yeah, gone exactly. away from the big media organizations that's, that we just do it ourselves. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think you guys know that from starting your own podcast. There are traditional TV um, and radio platforms. People still listen to that stuff. Yeah. Still watch it. But the next generation, I mean, you guys are both part of the next generation that yeah. wants it at your fingertips. You want it now. You want that instant gratification, and I think that's what podcasts and Netflix and streaming services give oh, people. Yeah. That's why we started a podcast, and right. I'm sure you know, you've probably thought about that too. And then when you look at it from an ag perspective, I think there are so many tools out there that, that agriculture is not yet utilizing. Like Agriculture as a technology-based industry is one of the most advanced industries, but when you come at it from a perspective of these are the tools available to then market right. those products, yeah. I think that's where we kind of fall behind some of those other industries. But... To give agriculture credit, a lot of people are doing a better job about telling their story, right? That's what we yeah. always hear. How do you tell your story? Yeah. You know, using social media. And as that next generation, as our generation is coming into the space, going back to the farm, taking on ag roles, ag cool. leadership roles, I think that's how we kind of embrace that next generation of agriculture because like the millennial generation yeah. wants to know where their food's coming from, how it's being right. made. And we have the tools to do it. We just I don't know if it's because we're scared or we're playing defense. We're worried about what people are going to say, but I think we need well, to do a better well, job. Well, it's just so much different than the typical way of doing it, too, mm -hmm. where you sell it on whatever the price is, or you can you could I think, play the game and you can yeah, market it in the future. I but, think we can be price makers instead yeah. of price takers with the tools that are out there. That's exactly what we've been talking wow. so much about. I never heard somebody say it like that. <laughs> no, but, no, but what, what was good on, price on that? Makers, price makers. Huh? Yeah, so I like that. And then talking about in telling our story then mm -hmm. monetize that Absolutely. that's the thing you know so i think that's part of what we've been talking about too on but that's a missing piece that we've been saying okay you need to be able to direct market what you're producing direct market it to the consumer well maybe it's more so you need to tell that story first yeah. and then, then say hey i'm selling this stuff too yeah. if you want to back me up you like this story think, that you're hearing here you go i think whoever comes up with the idea of how to tell your story best like yeah. if somebody made that into a business you're gonna make a million dollars oh, you're yeah. gonna make millions of dollars but maybe trying. billions i don't know whoever is smart enough to come up with one maybe not one foolproof way but a plan of how to do that and how right. to integrate agriculture into telling their story yeah i don't know who it's gonna be maybe it'd be me who yeah. knows maybe it's gonna be somebody that's 10 right now right. but well, whoever does it is it's going to be phenomenal. But it doesn't take much to do it. No. Okay, so it, we were... Just, I think the consistency of doing it time and time again and doing it on a large scale, I right. think that's a Yeah, it's how do you scale it? Because we talk about guys like, like Gabe Brown and, and Russell and some of these guys that are direct marketing mm -hmm. and doing a really good job, but it's, it's on their one farm. Mm -hmm. And I yeah. think, I can't remember, I was at a conference. I think I was at the National Association of Farm Broadcasters Conference this past mm -hmm. year in Kansas City. Pretty sure that's where I heard it. But somebody was saying, we need to start playing defense or we need to stop playing defense and start playing offense. Yeah. We're, we're so worried about what people are going to think or what how people are going to react to our message that we don't necessarily even put out a message sometimes. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's like somebody will post something on Facebook and you'll see something about an incorrect message. Maybe it's GMOs or organics or yeah. whatever. And then, then we go in and say, well, look, here's the facts. Here's what we right. see. Here's our story. But we're not doing that ahead of time. We're not being proactive as a we're market. Not, we're being the voices, reactive. The outside voices are louder than exactly. ours a lot of times yeah and the outside voices that are loud can be telling the wrong story and, like that. you yeah. know i'm gonna say it like 
some people play really dirty and agriculture doesn't oh, yeah. play dirty and sometimes i think we need to yeah. like people outside of the industry people in dc that are making the policy yeah. they don't care that's right they don't know what's it's going all about on the dollars here. and cents they're yeah. going to tell the story that they want to spin and sometimes oftentimes it's telling agriculture in a negative oh, light absolutely. so to build on that look at the organic the whole organic standard in the uh, uh, organic uh, labeling. Yeah. Look at the yeah, label labeling. of organic Absolutely. and how that's been yeah, just down. Ridiculous. Literally. Or the GMO stuff. Like yeah. you go to the store and it's like, oh, this 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 uh, peach or whatever yeah. is soil free, non-GMO, gluten free, yeah. like water based. They all are. Like yeah. just this long list of like crap. Yeah. yeah. And the, the companies that have done this marketing job have done a phenomenal job because oh, everybody yeah. buys it. They're going to pay a premium for right. this extra special label but agriculture well, hasn't done a good enough job and that's the thing we can hate on that as long as we want we can say Nobody's well that's all anything, crap though. but yeah. they're making a lot of I money know, doing that and 80 absolutely. cents of every dollar doing it well but but you i'm saying I mean? just like, by just by product. labeling yeah. it with all these different things yeah. to fill a need mm -hmm. and we say well that or organic you know they're selling for nine dollars a bushel where yeah. we're getting three and a half dollars a bushel for corn and it's not any better you know versus what we're producing well but the market there's a big market that's saying well we want that one that's right. you know, so instead of saying well screw that we don't want to do that we need to say okay where is the market actually at and make money on like, it's smart it's bring it back, to, the, bring it back to like what you guys do with soil health and, and yeah plant health i think it's phenomenal i mean even just visiting your farm today mitchell the amount of work and time and dedication that you go into for caring for the land right. for being good stewards of the land and taking care of it yeah. and the We've environment tell the story you there. have to tell that story like you guys are so i'm right. microbial biology blah whatever you're talking about <laughs> yeah. today like some of it is way over my head but at the same time i'm so in awe because you know what you're talking about and you're so passionate and and people just need to see that that don't right. relate directly to agriculture well we've let someone else shape that message for how long right. you know years yeah. and uh it's not getting any better people it's are not getting any better. farther and farther away but from don't the you farm. think that there is also this this disconnect in the farming community right now where people are saying you know what this urban consumer is just a fad like this whole thing, like non-GMO, right. that's yeah. all especially marketing. It's all mislabeling, and yeah. you know, that blah blah blah. You can't feed the world like create, you know, farming organically, and you get so like it will just ignore it and it'll go away. What's your thoughts? Do you see that being something that's yeah. going to just go away, or do you think that that consumer? I mean, the disconnect between the urban and the rural mm -hmm. is so big and so wide now, and it's the people who control the marketing and the ag industry, you know, big ag companies. That are they, they want it that way, right? Yeah. Because that translates to dollars. So, so do you think that that's something that'll just you know cycle through, or do you think that that consumer is just going to continually be susceptible yeah. to these marketing? I think the first thing that we need to accomplish is to establish the fact that we are still consumers. As farmers, mm. we're still consumers. By putting ourselves in two separate boxes as the consumers versus the farmers, that's I think that right there creates a, a big diversion yeah. division. Because we are consumers, we still are consuming the foods that we're producing, and I sure. think that's maybe the way we get past it by putting ourselves in the same category by saying, "These are the same foods that we're feeding our families, mm -hmm. our kids. We're not making something with extra chemicals to yeah. send into big cities. Like that's not we're it's not us yeah, we're versus you. We're all on the same team. But from the other from your perspective of these big companies are are doing things." I don't. I, I have mixed feelings, and I don't want to step on anybody's toes because That's I have right. a lot of opinions on on like the Monsantos and Syngentas That's and the pioneers out there because they're taking up a lot of market share and they're expanding yeah. and 
acquiring one another and merging. So I think that as a as a domestic or as a what's the word I'm looking for? As a society, we are based on this this idea of free trade and free marketplace. Right. But when we have that stuff happening in agriculture, that's not really it's taken away some yeah. of that free market yeah. stuff. Exactly. But that but I think that opens up the door then for the little guy to be able to get in and do a direct market. Absolutely. But you're only direct marketing as much as you can physically sell yourself. Yeah. Which that's why they have big the companies to sell. Yeah. I don't know. It's a chicken and the egg kind of problem, but yeah. I love talking about it. Oh yeah. Well, well that's a thing. Like when we look at yeah. our, and this is kind of my theory, but I think when we look at agriculture, you're going to have two waves that emerge. One is is that you're gonna you're always going to have these these foreign markets that are going to live off of you know three dollars a bushel mm -hmm. or wherever we're at our corn prices right now. That's not going anywhere, right? You'll always have that dump of the domestic market, but these farmers are going to get bigger like we see that technology has allowed that the guys have gone from you know 2,000 acre farmers being big farmers now mm -hmm. guys farm three states you know what yeah. i mean yeah 10,000 15,000 20,000 so that'll happen that'll continue but it's 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 how do millennials coming back to try and get to the farm with a lot of guys who are looking at this market saying i'm not going to take on the debt to chase the 4,000 acres yeah. from 800 acres mm -hmm. right which is what you kind of have to do to survive, how are the how is the 800 acre farmer going to pass that on to a millennial coming back and be sustainable? That's the million dollar question. I right? think it has to I, do with the. They're going to have to go back to the producing things the way that you can produce them and get that full dollar and right? diversify, of course. And, and yeah. to throw another and that one fits one right into your guys' farm too. Like yeah. we were talking about this before, like we started recording that Delaney's farm, like. They're literally right in the middle of this too, yeah. which is awesome. Like, yeah, well, kind of. Maybe I shouldn't say it yet, but yeah, my parents are building a, a greenhouse or a she shed, as my mom calls it. If you've seen the Geico commercial where the lady's she shed burns down, but um, so they're working on building a greenhouse right now and just looking at maybe some other options for what we can do to continue to market ourselves and market the farm. And yeah. like gardening, gardening is a big hobby for a lot of people. So. Yeah. If you're doing that, why wouldn't you sell it in a market like Des Moines or sure. Kansas City sure. or Chicago? Like someplace people are going to pay more money to get local, homegrown, home-sourced foods. So we're kind of looking into that right now. But I think that's maybe the next big thing for agriculture. And then I want to throw in one more monkey wrench because uh, I've done a lot of traveling abroad. And I think the next thing that we're also that we also should be prepared for is the idea that there are developing countries that are going to be coming into the markets and they're and as people become more developed countries they can afford to buy higher quality foods higher quality proteins yeah proteins like beef which you know as your as your economy grows yeah the more beef and pork and and uh, chicken you but, buy. But they'll also be more conscious to how that beef's being produced. Right. Exactly. Which well, has been kind of not true And that's why I think we need to today. accomplish this mission of yeah. how do we tell the story before that yeah, happens. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Well, so we've, what we've talked about here on previous episodes was farmers for, so, for a couple of decades have been given the mantra that we have to feed the world, nine mm -hmm. and a half billion people, and it's on yeah. us as like right. Iowa farmers or Midwest that's, farmers. What's yeah. your take? I mean, that's yeah. like right yeah. on what we're talking like. What's your take on that, I guess? <sighs> on do Iowa farmers, do we have to feed the yeah. world? Well, I mean, I think we were talking a little bit earlier because you said you've been to Africa. Yeah. You, you see that they're trying to learn these practices, but yeah. the reality is they don't have the infrastructure. They don't have sometimes the climate yeah. or the soil type yeah. or temperatures to do what we do in the U.S. So I think 
other countries are trying to be more competitive. I mean, when you look at what's going on in South America with Brazil and Argentina, yeah. their soybean and corn crops are humongous. I mean, they yeah. are the biggest competitors with the U.S. right now yeah. mm-hmm. and what we're watching for to see how the market prices move. Um, but I, I think a lot of countries are interested in, in developing their agriculture systems and being more competitive on an international scale. I mean, you look at all yeah. the trade issues going on right now. We have China tariffs, NAFTA, yeah. the new Chorus Agreement, um, working on bilateral trade agreements with Japan and all the other Asian countries. Those are big countries that are up and coming. And then there's Africa, which is kind of like this unknown entity. Yeah. I and mean, We're really not doing anything with them, but that's going to be the next area to develop and sure. see what comes out of their agriculture system and maybe it's nothing but yeah. i think the african people are pretty resourceful so i think they're going to be well and they're going to need other stuff too so whether it be directly selling corn mm-hmm. and soybeans or that's ethanol and, and those kind of actually what's it called it's the chinese road belt initiative i mm-hmm. think um is the official name china's investing a lot of dollars in africa europe like those underdeveloped parts to get rail systems built. So then China can get their stuff through Asia, through mm. Europe, to ports or to other parts of Europe. Sure. So, I mean, China's also gonna be a, a big competitor for the US. I mean, they already are. It, it's so weird, or I don't know yeah. what the right word is. It's weird to me that China is still considered a developing country, even though yeah. they're, they, you know, race the U.S. for being number one and number two in the world economies. Like, why are they still considered a developing country? Yeah. I mean, part of it is because they're going at such a massive scale and they're, they have a high birth rate and whatever, but yeah. that's, I don't understand that sometimes. Yeah. But don't they have such a massive country? I mean, that's part yeah. of it is that like, Absolutely. where they're developed, they are like, they're elite, right? Absolutely. Yeah. But where they're exactly. not, they are the poor are the best, you know. Yeah, the, the farming portions the are poor. Areas. Yeah. But then you go into their cities and yeah, they're way more advanced than what we mm-hmm. are. I literally just watched a documentary last night on China with the one child law. Yeah, know, which is out of percussions. Yep. Yeah, well now it's two child. Yep. Right? But um, all the repercussions are happening now because of the disproportionate because, because of the sexes. It, yeah, it's so it's, it's terrible that they would just get rid of Got their, rid of the females. The female kids. Because they wanted a male. Because they wanted a male to continue the family name and because males could provide better for the families. Right. Yeah. So China's got some interesting things going on over there. Yeah, for sure. But that was crazy. But anyways. While while we're on that, though, what is like that you guys have obviously been following the tariff Mm -hmm. stuff a lot. We talked about that last week. Just getting some insight. What's Mm -hmm. your like kind of two cents on that whole deal? That's a tough one because you come at it from two perspectives of they're just puffing their chest out trying yeah. to show off i mean president trump of course well, he's put doing in, the same he's thing doing the same thing it's to see who throws in their towel first right. that's one perspective the other one is china is just waiting to see and they're they're gonna enact this when we least expect it yeah. that's what i've heard some analysts say you know they're gonna wait and see when president trump maybe is up for re-election or something happens they need a card in their back pocket they need some leverage then they're gonna enact it later the market certainly reacted to that news when we had it, uh, oh, yeah. whatever it was, two weeks yeah. ago, a week and a half ago. Um, and, and it was a short reaction. I think that's been kind of priced out of the market now. But it's definitely something that we have to continue to watch. I think I don't think guys are going to switch acres no. from, from soybeans to corn. I haven't heard a lot of that yet, but... Something to get the corn planted. Yeah, we got to plant. Uh, yeah, so, you know, that's exactly. the next challenge, right? Exactly. Yeah. But so, do you think that there's going to be long term? Like, do you think for corn? I know China doesn't mm-hmm. import a lot of corn, and we did a, kind of a show on this last week. But 
Um, do you think that corn will market-wise just market outlook? The corn's in a good shape to to be, you know, like July or December contracts mm -hmm. look pretty attractive right now. I think you? they do. Okay. Um, there's some market analysts that are a little more bullish than others. Some are saying, you know, maybe we'll hit six dollar corn by 2019. Uh, I don't know if I'm that optimistic, but I think out of all, what three, do they say would be driving that? I don't know. Because stocks I, are lower, trend line yields. We've been I mean, hitting. we we're at like this is like the best economy we've had in a long time. And when you look yeah. at what's going on in the stock markets, that money, that those fund positions are trickling into 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 the commodity markets, mm -hmm. and they need somewhere to invest those dollars, and they're thinking corn, soybeans, wheat, they look attractive. I think out of all three of those grains, corn probably has the most bullish story. And I'm not a market analyst, full disclosure. I mean, Just I, for entertainment purposes. Yeah, of course, <laughs> I talk to market analysts every week. And this, this is kind of the insight I've gathered from them. Yes. All of them say corn is the bullish story. Yeah. That's the yeah. one to really be watching here, cool. especially over this next year. So, so I'm good with not selling my corn yet. Yeah. <laughs> all right, well, good deal. I mean, you gotta be, be, yeah. You gotta look at getting rid of some Maybe of it here some as of it. we uh, get into. Planting. I'd be a third forwarded, you know, if I was if I was yeah. doing it for yeah. sure. But uh, 